Chapter Five of Agincourt, a Romance by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five. The Assassination. Clouds had again come over the heavens as day declined, and the light had nearly faded from the sky. But yet the horses of Hall of Hadnock and Richard of Woodville had not appeared in the courtyard, and the former showed great anxiety to proceed at once. His gaiety was gone, and he stood either playing in deep thought with the hilt of his dagger, the sheath of which hung from a ring in the centre of his belt, or listening for the horses, with his ear turned towards the door of the hall. "'I fear, sir, the news you have received are bad,' said old Sir Philip Beecham, who, with the rest of the party, had by this time risen from table. "'A father's perilous sickness, noble Sir Philip,' answered Hall of Hadnock, one who might have been kinder indeed, but still the tidings must ever be sad ones to a son's heart. I wonder that the horses be not ready. Go, Hugh, and see, replied Richard of Woodville, but a serving-man, who had entered the moment before, stopped the messenger, saying, They will be here in a minute, sir. A shoe was found loose on the gentleman's steed, and John the Smith has had to fasten it. Well, Dick, thou goest in good earnest at last, said the old knight, turning to his nephew, and on my life I think it is the best thing thou canst do. Thou art a good soldier, and wilt raise thyself to renown. I need not tell thee what thy duties are, but thou must take a horse and arms of thine old uncle, whom thou mayst never see again, perchance. Choose them for thyself, boy. Thou wilt find wherewithal in that purse, and he placed a full one in his nephew's hand. As my good brother, the abbot, is not here, thou must content thyself with my benison. Be it upon thee, Richard. Love thy king, thy country, and thine honour, but above all things love God, fear his anger, hope in his mercy, trust in his promises, and submit thine own reason in all things to his word. So shalt thou prosper in this world, so shalt thou be meet for another. The young man caught his uncle's hand and kissed it, and the old knight pressed him for a moment in his arms. Here, Richard, take this gift of me said Isabel, "'Tis but a jewel for your baldric.' Mary Markham did not speak, but after he had pressed his lips on Isabel's cheek, she offered hers silently, placing a ring in his hand. "'I will bear it to honour and win you yet, Mary,' said Woodville, in a low voice, as he took his parting kiss, and he felt that her cheek was wet with tears. "'Hark, there are the horses, noble sir,' exclaimed Hall of Hadnock, turning to Sir Philip. "'Once more, farewell. Your nephew shall give you further news of me, and may one day clear me in your eyes for somewhat you have thought amiss.' Then, bidding the ladies adieu, he turned to the hall door and mounted with a princely largesse to the servants of the house. Richard of Woodville followed, sprang on his horse's back, and, giving one look back, rode through the gates after his companion. The wood was dark and sombre as they proceeded amidst its thick coverts, but when they issued forth, a faint glimmer of twilight served to guide them on the way, and they quickened their pace. There were lights in the windows of the cottages, too, as they passed through the village, and when they reached the other side, they caught a pale line of yellow light peeping out from beneath the dark clouds upon the edge of the western sky, and gilding the water of the stream. Riding on quickly, they had not left the last house behind them five minutes, when Hall of Hadnock pulled up his horse short, exclaiming, "'Hark! there is a scream.' "'Tis but a screech owl,' answered Richard of Woodville. "'They come forth in spring.' But as he spoke there was another shriek, apparently before them, 
and each struck his horse with the spur and dashed on. No other sound met their ear, however, except what seemed the distant galloping of a horse, which might be but the echo of their own beast's feet. When they reached the spot where, on the preceding night, they had seen the wild fire over the moor, Halifadnock again drew in his rein, saying, "'It came from somewhere here.' "'It seemed to me near where we then were,' replied Richard of Woodville. "'Perchance t'was just some villagers got drunk at that glutton mass. "'See, there is the otter again.' "'It was a shriek of pain or terror,' answered his companion. "'Otter, that is no otter. "'Here, hold my horse.' "'And springing from the saddle in a moment, "'he dashed down the bank and plunged into the river. "'Though shallow in most places,' It there formed a deep pool, but Halif Hadnock, expert in all exercises alike, struck out at once and caught the object he had seen, just as it was sinking. A feeling of horror and alarm seized him, as his hand grasped the long hair of a woman, but raising her head above the water, he held it gently on his left arm, and with his right swam in towards the shore. "'Here, help, Richard,' he cried. "'Set the horses free and take her. Tis a woman.' Woodville was down the bank in a moment, exclaiming, "'Who is it? Who is it?' "'I know not,' answered Halif Hadnock, raising her so far above the water that his companion could grasp her in his arms and lift her out. But as he himself followed, placing one knee on the shore, with a sad heart he heard his companion exclaim in the accents of deep grief, "'Good heaven! It is Catherine!' "'Quick, bear her to the nearest house,' cried Halif Hadnock. "'The spark of life may be still there.' I will follow with the horses. Up the short path to the right lies the chanters, cried Richard, raising the unhappy girl in his stout arms and running along the road. The horses were easily caught, and mounting one and leading the other, Halif Hadnock followed, obtaining a glance of his companion, just as he turned from the highway, towards a spot where the thatch of a small house peeped up above some trees. He was at the door as soon as Woodville, and lifting the latch they both went in. An old man and woman were sitting before the fire, but the sudden entrance of two men roused them in fear, and when they saw who it was and what they bore, all was eager hurry and lamentation. The inanimate body of Catherine Beecham, however, was speedily laid in the old chanter's bed, in the neighbouring chamber, and such simple means as first suggested themselves were employed to ascertain if life was still within that fair and silent frame. But she lay calm and still as if in sleep, with her features full of a sweet placidity, such as they had seldom worn in life. "'It is past,' said Richard of Woodville. "'It is past. Poor girl! How has this happened? Ha! There is the mark of a grasp upon her throat.' "'See there, too,' cried Halif Hadnock, as he pointed with his hand to where, upon the fine lawn that covered her bosom, was a faint red stain, half washed out by the water of the stream, as if blood had been spilt.' No wound, however, was to be discovered, and while the two gentlemen stood and gazed, the old chanter's sister continued, ineffectually, to employ every effort to reawaken the inanimate frame, and the old man himself ran off to the abbey to procure farther aid. "'Go into the other room, sirs, go into the other room,' said the good dame at length. "'I will take off her wet clothes. Tis that keeps her from coming too.' Halif Hadnock shook his head, for he could not see that pale countenance, those immovable lips, those sightless eyes, without feeling sure, too sure, that life had departed for ever. He would not say anything, however, to discourage the zeal of the poor woman, and he accordingly accompanied Richard of Woodville into the chamber which they had first entered, 
and stood with him in silent thought before the fire. Neither spoke, for the mind of each was busy with sad and dark inquiries regarding the event which had just taken place, yet neither could arrive at anything like a conclusion. Was it her own act? Was it accident? Was it the deed of another? And if so, of whom? Such were the questions which both asked themselves. Both, too, entertained suspicions, but yet they did not like even to admit those suspicions to their own hearts, for how often does the first conclusion of guilt do injustice to the innocent? But while they were still in thought, the voice of the chanter's sister was heard exclaiming, "'Come hither, Master Richard, come hither, see here!' And as they entered, she pointed to the poor girl's arm, which now lay uncovered on the bedclothes, adding, "'There is the grasp of a hand, clear enough,' "'Look, all the fingers and the thumb.' "'Stay,' said Hal of Hadnock. "'That might be mine, Richard, or yours, "'in raising her out of the stream.' "'I took her by the other arm,' answered Richard of Woodville. "'And I do not remember having touched her arm at all,' "'said Hal of Hadnock, after thinking for a moment. "'Oh, no, sirs,' cried the old woman. "'That hand must have grasped her in life, "'else it would not have brought the blood to the skin. "'Hark, there are the people coming.' "'And in another minute,' The good old abbot and four or five of his monks ran in, breathless and scared. "'Alas! alas, Richard, what is this?' cried the abbot. "'A sad and dark affair, father,' replied Richard of Woodville, while one of the monks, famed for his skill in leechcraft, advanced to the bedside and put his hand upon the heart. "'I fear life is extinct.' The abbot gazed at the monk as he knelt, but the good brother slowly waved his head, with a melancholy look, saying, "'Yet leave me and the old woman alone with her.' "'I will stay and aid,' replied the abbot. "'I am her uncle.' All the rest withdrew, and many were the eager questions of the monks as to how the accident had happened. Richard of Woodville told the tale simply as it was, the two shrieks that they had heard, the discovery of the body in the water, and its recovery from the stream. "'Aye, she screamed when she fell in, and when she first rose,' said one of the monks. "'Drowning people always do.' Woodville made no reply, for he would not give his own suspicions to others. But Hal of Hadnock asked him in a low voice, "'Did you not hear the galloping of a horse on the other side as we came near?' "'I did,' answered Richard in the same tone. "'I did, too plainly.' In about a quarter of an hour the abbot came forth and all made way for him. "'What hope?' asked Woodville, looking into his uncle's face for speedier information. "'None,' replied the abbot. "'How has this chance, my son? "'There are marks of violence.' "'The same tale was told over again, "'but this time Richard of Woodville added the fact "'of a horse's feet having been heard, "'and the abbot mused profoundly. "'I will have the body carried down to the abbey,' he said at length. "'You, Richard, speed to my brother and break your tidings there. "'Come down with him to the abbey, and we will consult. "'Bring Dacre, too.' "'Dacre has been gone more than two hours,' answered Richard of Woodville, "'but I will seek my uncle Philip.' "'And he turned towards the door. "'Hal of Hadnock stayed him for a moment, however, saying, "'I must ride on, Richard. "'You know that my call hence admits of no delay. "'But let every one remark and remember, "'for this matter must be inquired into, "'that I heard and saw all that this good friend of mine did. "'The shrieks, the galloping of a horse, the body in the water. "'You shall have means of finding me too, should it be needful. "'And now, my lord abbot, a sad good-night.' "'Farewell, Richard. You shall hear from me soon.' Thus saying, he quitted the cottage, mounted his horse, and rode away at a quick pace. 
End of chapter 5